And now, for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PNR with This Old Marketing. Take it away, boys. Well, hello, content marketers. I'm Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 54 of PNR's This Old Marketing, recorded on Sunday, November 23rd, 2014. Well, this week is Thanksgiving week here in the United States, and that means snuggling up with family, suffering your drunk uncle's political rants, eating delicious homemade food, watching football, go Cowboys, go Browns, unbuttoning those pants as you fall into a turkey-induced food coma, and generally giving thanks for all this great in your life. So Joe and I have so much gratitude and give thanks to you, the friends and family of this old marketing. Thank you so much for listening to us gab each week. We've got thanks for your reviews on iTunes, whether it's two stars or five, though we're super thankful for the five variety, of course. And we've got thanks to you for subscribing to our little warm fire of content marketing goodness. So thanks to all of you. And speaking of gratitude, I'm especially thankful and happy to introduce my partner, my colleague, my good, good friend, the Presidential Executive Order of Content Marketing, (laughs) Mr. Joe Polizzi. How are you, my friend? And happy early Thanksgiving to you. Thank you. The same to you. And uh, as we record this, you have a football game in a couple hours, but I just sat through four hours of the Browns game. And uh, it was a a very difficult... Well, the Browns won. So, I mean, I haven't seen seven (laughs) wins in... A long time, so they're at seven and four now. But it was one of those games that, oh, more, that we usually lose, but they won. So yeah, good. Yeah, there you go. I mean, and I'm, I, I'm of course, yeah, I'm, I'm waiting with bated breath here. In the next, uh, looks like it's going. The game's going to start in about an hour from now. So uh, we'll see what happens. This is, this is the crunch time, right? This is when it all comes this together. Is when it happens, and I, I don't know. I, I haven't. I don't even know what this feels like. So, <laughs> usually, we're, trust me, we're, we it are, only gets worse from here, my friend. <laughs> I mean, you're talking about my heartbreak, Cowboys. Yeah, it only gets worse from here. This is when it. This is when you start wanting to tear the heart out of your chest. Well, that's true. But by this, usually by this time of the year, I already know when draft day is for next year. So at least, <laughs> at least we're not thinking about that quite. There yet. you go. I <laughs> know. Uh, well, as and this is uh, you know Thanksgiving week, so are you are you absolutely staying home for the holidays? I'm here? staying home. I am. I'm getting ready to do nothing but cook and eat and drink some good wine and just hang out with family. Yeah, I'm. I'm. Uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to not being on airplanes or in an airport. Yeah, you had a lot of travel, so you, I have you indeed need a little bit of a a break. And you had. I mean, you did. What was in Sweden last week? Correct. That's right. A fantastic masterclass to um, some folks in Sweden uh, with an agency called Content, K-N-T-N-T. Uh, big shout out to them and thanks for hosting me out there. It was just a fabulous, fabulous class. Uh, I just love, I love going to Sweden um, and they're just such a, it was such, such a great group. They, they wanted to take pictures and, and, and it was, just, it was a, it was a great time. I had a, I had a wonderful time. It was, it was too short, but you know, from a visit standpoint, but also I was there long enough because I'd been on the road at that point for five weeks. So um, I'm glad to be home. Well, who doesn't want their picture taken with the Robert Rose? Oh, goodness gracious. <laughs> we should get to the news. Oh, my God. And with that, right. we probably should get started in the news. How yes. Oh, my God. We're, we're two sentences too late is what I'm thinking there. Um, all right. Our first story of the week comes to us from our friends at Ad Age. And here's the thing. This is a big deal. I don't know how I missed this when it came out. Um, I only saw this over the weekend. Time Inc., uh, the course of the comp, the publisher, Time, uh, locks in a deal with Outbrain 
said to be worth $100 million. And so this is the nation's largest magazine publisher has struck a deal with Outbrain. And for those of you who don't know, Outbrain does content promotion um, where they're kind of like Google ads for content at the bottom of news sites. And they are the recommended content stories. um, And they will be inclusive of all of Time Inc.'s websites, including time.com, people.com, all of those. Um, They had uh, worked with a mix of companies previous to this. And they say the deal is worth $100 million dollars to the publisher what say you joe polizzi to this new development i was actually shocked by this believe it or not i was too and uh and i think first of all congrats to them i mean congrats to all of our friends over at outbrand i mean the sales guy has got to be you know smoking a big cigar this weekend because that's a big deal Feeling really good i mean if you look at the properties of time on the web i think it's something like almost four percent of all the traffic on the web goes into time properties so this yeah. is time.com people. I mean, this is a big, big deal. And I'm super interested about the publishing side. I, and I don't know. I mean, maybe you have a take on the numbers because I was trying, <laughs> I'm jotting things down, trying to figure out. And first of all, we don't know how long this is for. They don't say right. how long it's for. All that we know that it started on November 15th. So we know that it's That's already right. started. But what's interesting is, and this is what I've learned from most publishers, most publishers use some type of content recommendation engine to make money on their own site, and this is what I think for the most part what this deal is about. But also, I think what a lot of people don't realize is that publishers buy a lot of traffic using content recommendation engines. That's right. And and what's it's just it's fascinating to me when I talk to some publishers and they sell the difference. So what they'll do is they'll go ahead and they'll try to get traffic to their site using SEM or a content recommendation engine, and then they'll re-monetize that. Let's say that they they get charged forty cents for that click. They'll try to resell that click for eighty cents. It's like derivatives or something. <laughs> they do it. But anyways, what I what I'm interested in is so this sounds like it's a net deal. So it's like let's say they're they're getting a hundred million dollars over a certain period of time. I wonder if that means they get. I mean, part of it must be marketing. They get. I mean, I wonder if they have to spend well the marketing money to get that. I mean, what what are you thinking about the numbers? So yeah, and and then also I want us to do a takeaway for marketers here because this is there. I think there are some genuine takeaways yes. for marketers here. But yes, the math is funky here because okay. So I, and I actually did go do some back of the envelope math here with how do you get to a hundred million dollars? So <clears throat> assuming. And I don't know anything about reselling and and how they might get some marketing or something out of this. But basically, from what's generally out there on the web about the way that the revenue share works is that you can assume that it's about $0.15 to $0.30 per click cost with about half of that going to the publisher, right? So they split it about half and half normally if you're a publisher that qualifies for their program, et cetera. And so if you do the math on that all the way through, you see revenues between about $0.37 and $1.12 without brain. So that's going to translate to about $370 to about $1,000 roughly per million visitors. So in the article, though, if you go through the article, they basically say they get 65 million visitors, unique visitors per month. Now, I was generous there, and I gave them five page views per visitor, which I think is probably pretty generous, assuming um, that they get about 325 million page views a month across the network. If I multiply that by 12, that's almost 4 billion page views per year, about 3.9 billion page views per year. So then we go back to our $1,000 or so per million. Then on the high side, just to keep the math easy, well, the highest I can get to is about $4 bucks a year of revenue based on that. 
So that's a long way off from $100 million. But so said another way, if we look at the high average revenue number, you'd need about 97 billion page views per year to get there. Or even said one other way, if Time actually does have 4 billion or so page views per year and they're getting $100 million, that's $25,000 revenue per thousand visitors. That's, that's just astronomically high. So now that's assuming they're getting $100 million in the year. So to your point, how many years is this cover? How many years are they maybe saying a, to maybe get to $100 million? It could be like an Alex Rodriguez. Yeah, right. 10 years. Year, right. Over 10 years. <laughs> and a billion exactly. dollar deal or something like that. That's um, exactly right. I, so I think not, to your point, I, th- I think to your point then, they're, they're either getting something. You know, in other words, look, it's this is a great deal for Outbrain because they get a they get a sort of, you know, the the pinnacle client, and this is going to help their other side. You know, the basically the buy side here for, with marketers tremendously because they get all of these sites to now share their content out on. So even if they net zero on this, they're actually getting you know they're getting revenue on this, so they can give away a lot uh, with this deal. But I think. $100 billion is either, I think, wildly overstated or it's actually spread out over multiple years. Or they're, to your very good point, getting something extra in the deal here, some marketing, some additional services, something that's getting them a value of $100 bucks. That could be That could be a big part of it because and I just talked to a consumer side publisher recently that spends a lot of money on content recommendation or content discovery, whatever you want to call it, and yeah. because they need traffic to their videos. So they use as much as they can, spending as much, and then they use. They have, you know, you're, you were making my head spin with all those numbers, but I know. Sorry, I mean, no, about that's that. okay. Yeah, I mean, but, it's yeah. but but they they do the same type of. I mean, they're just using math. They're saying how what do I have to spend to go get people, and then how do right. I make money or how do I get revenue from them to on my site? And they basically are are selling the difference. It's like, right. Okay. Well, if we can spend less money to get them there then we're we're doing well and i'm and i just was like looking at that because our model is so much different than that we don't we don't use a cpm or a cost per click basis for anything that we do so it's just interesting to see that but back to your point i think we should probably finish this up with a little look at what senate for marketers if we look at content recommendation engines most marketers right now are not using content recommendation or content discovery engines i looked at the research That's right our b2b content marketing benchmark study and b2c study for this year only 13% of b2b marketers were using content discovery uh, tools and 19% of b2c so there's i mean there's quite a gap there i mean and if you look at okay well what what does that mean against another number 65% use search engine marketing to market their content. So it's just interesting that most people haven't looked at this. And I guess my question back to you is, is this an opportunity for anybody listening to this to look and say, hey, maybe as part of your promotion activities, you should be looking at content discovery? Well, certainly if you're a B2C company, right? I mean, this is a, you know, this, this is a big, this is a big bellwether moment that says, you know, you are now going to have a lot of consumer magazines, consumer publishing interfaces that your the you know that your content can display on. You know, I mean, I think it's less of a you know of an event for a B two B marketer because there's not a lot of Time Inc. publishers that are really focused on the B two B audience. But for B two C, especially for Time dot com and People dot com, and you know, if you're if you're looking at content promotion through a recommendation engine. I think it, you know, the world just got a lot bigger. 
um, for you know with the with this deal. And so yeah, it's at, I mean I it's funny I was commenting to someone as you know I was at this financial uh, investment conference last uh, last two weeks ago in New York, and somebody asked me about Google, and I said you know this is a real threat to Google um, because as as marketers as brands start to really try and figure out the idea of content versus using ads to, you know, uh, advertise a direct call to action to a product or to a service. And they start looking at using content and promotion of content in replacement of that. Well, they're going to look increasingly to these content recommendation engines. And more and more, I'm going to think that Outbrain and Taboola and these kinds of companies are going to be competing for the same dollars that are now going into search marketing. Yes. And yeah. I think it's not long before Google figures that out and goes, you know what? We better snap one of these guys up because this is a this this is a big revenue engine for you us. You and I, we, we had a conversation, I think it was two to three years ago, that Google should be looking at the content recommendation engines. And actually... That's right. Actually, well, what Yahoo I actually did this, thought the right? first... And Yahoo's doing well, this. Well, Yahoo is doing it because they have a Yahoo, Yahoo recommends or recommended by Yahoo. I don't know whatever they call yeah. it. Uh, right. But I think there's a play here for any of the social networks that are now actually media companies, right? So I yep. think there's a play here for Twitter, for LinkedIn, uh, and and definitely for... Well, we talked about LinkedIn, right? With their acquisition of Bizzo, this is exactly what they can and probably will do. So I think that it's... But, but I guess the only thing I would disagree with you on is I think there's still a huge opportunity for B2B companies because a lot of the niche B2B publishers are just starting to add the content recommendation widget. And frankly, you can dominate space right now because there's not a lot of players in it. So well, that's a great like a point. first, you know, yeah. first to market type of thing here. And I would definitely be testing it out in some that's of these a great small point. niche markets. So. That's a great point. You know, and 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 also to your point and to what we were just talking about, if LinkedIn does decide to get into this business, that is going to just you know they will own the B two B space. I mean, because that's that's that acquisition of Bizzo and where they can start to do retargeting of content across different publishing sites and create their own network there you know that is a, that is a b2b gold mine there so if they're not thinking about that they that well i'm I'm, assu- I'm sure they are thinking well about i'll that. tell you what i think we should throw out a prediction because i think by this time next year one of those firms your outbrain your taboola your enrelate somebody's getting bought oh for sure it's got to happen because it's just there's i mean there's and you know there's so much funny money going on out there well, Somebody's that's it. I mean, they've taken it. so much money, right? And I just saw I just saw a news item, and I'll I may get this wrong, so forgive me. But I think I just saw another article that talked about how Taboola was actually out for another round of money. I mean, and this we're talking; these guys aren't getting two, four, six, eighteen, right? These guys are getting fifty, seventy-five, a hundred million dollars at a click. That means somebody believes these guys are billion, multi-billion-dollar businesses. Here we go. Here we go. It's be fun. <laughs> this is where it gets interesting. Oh, my goodness. Oh, see, yeah, we're, it's going to be. Get ready, folks. going to be an interesting yeah. show. What are we it's going to be. It's, it's going to be a bumpy ride. Next. All right. The New York Times is a very interesting story in our next, uh, in our next up for bid here. This article comes to us from digiday.com. And here we go. As we like to say, New York Times runs, dun, 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 its first native advertising in print. So the New York Times has been producing, of course, all kinds of elaborate native ads online. And 
Now it's gone the step further, as we predicted it would and knew it would, and they said they would. Um, And this ad, which is for Shell Oil Company, is set to appear in print and online on Wednesday. And it's really basically different. It's really, really different. It's uh, there, There's an eight-page section, a complete eight-page section wrapped around the home-delivered copy. I don't get the New York Times, so um, I can't see it, of course. But I did go to the digital ad, and I looked at it, and it was a pretty interesting thing. The, the two things that really stood out to me, and then I want to get your take on this, Joe, is the two things that really stood out to me was, one, how good the sort of microsite that New York Times and their studio, which, of course, we've talked about on this show, their creative studio, which is like an ad agency, how good that content and that experience really was. I mean, it was a beautiful website. And it was a website. I mean, it was a whole, you know, there's a whole interactive experience with video and great content. And, you know, you may or may not be interested in the content. And I did read it. And I was mildly interested in it. And then there's a, there was a call to action to it. I actually thought the execution, at least from what I could see on the digital side, was actually pretty darn good. What did you think? Well, before I, I have many thoughts, of course. Oh, this, dear. But oh, I do want to throw I was listening to Todd Wheatland's latest podcast. Uh, Todd does a great pivot on our network, uh, uh, podcast on our network called The Pivot. And he had Andrew Davis on as his guest. And I was listening. And Andrew was talking about why he sold his agency when he did. And Andrew's take was he just saw that media companies that had the audience and they were creating these creative. Uh, agency studios inside we're going to eat agencies for lunch yeah and i just well we've talked about we have talked about it this is nothing new but it's just funny how i just listened to that that segment and then we see this where you know t brand studio from the new york times has 21 people there and they're doing very good work and this is interesting now i'll say a couple things first of all hats off to shell because Shell is the first one to do this here with the New York Times, and they were also the first one to do it with the Washington Post. That's so right. somebody at Shell is saying, let's kick some butt here. <laughs> let's just Right, go. let's do this. Let's go. Who's got native opportunities? Let's go. And we've right. been talking about it, and Shell, <laughs> Shell is doing it. So we should really reach out. If, if anybody from Shell listens to this, we would like to talk to you because uh, we like your style. We want to go. We it's, want to- I, well, I, I do. I mean, because here's the thing. Look, this is Shell Oil, like this gigantic, huge corporation that's actually doing something really interesting and innovative and, you know, look at like it or not, right? I mean, like, you know, you know, argue what you will about the merits of this and whether Shell should be doing this or whether Shell shouldn't be doing this, but at least they're trying something. And And to your point, which we were talking about before the show started, this was no cheap thing, right? This is, this, this is real money they're spending on this. Well, the, the story here says t- at least $200,000 for just the content creation. Right. That does not include the media placement. And I believe the eight-page, it was like a cover wrap to the news section around the home-delivered copies. That had to be over a million bucks. I mean, had oh, to. I, I have to. I mean, and I'll tell you right now, having worked in a 21-person shop, web design shop, a $200,000 project is for real. I mean, that that's can be the money. biggest, you know, that's the biggest client you may have all year. So, they're, you know, they're they're making money there and guess what? There's a web agency and an ad agency who didn't. Well, this is a, shoot. I mean, I we had that model of Penton Media. We were the the custom studios, let's say, at Penton and then we would work with the salespeople at the different magazines. And when there was a project like this, it was a win for everyone because we got the content business that we could mark up our, you know, and get a 40% nice margin off of it. And then they were getting the the uh, the media 
spend. So it was great for both sides. Yeah. So I guess the the one thing that I did want to have a discussion about, because there's a lot of, if you go through the comments uh, from, I don't know if it was on Digiday, it was on one of the sites I was I was looking at, they were, they were just talking about what's the difference between this and advertorial. And I really wanted to, I think this is important because I'm trying to wrap my arms around the fact is native advertising in print, let's say, let's just talk about print because this is why this got the focus. It, is it right. just advertorial and we're calling it something different? But the difference to me is in this one that I'm looking at, most advertorial is just terrible content that's that's sent in by uh, the the agency doing it for the brand or the brand itself. And you go ahead and you make sure, that, okay, does it have sponsored content on the top? Good, we'll run that. Or advertorial, we run it. This is different because you had the whole team at the T-Brand Studios basically creating the content for, on behalf of Shell, I'm sure Shell had an approval with it, but they were leading and driving the content probably based on Shell's goals or what Shell wanted to say. Sure. I think that's a big difference between what normally we see as advertorial where it's not necessarily done by the media company or a studio within the media company. So I'm almost thinking more and more. It's not the same, but I almost thought this is almost like a, a PBS model doesn't it seem where they're saying Shell is sponsoring. They're, this content is really important, and they're willing to underwrite this content. Well, so can you say and that? I don't can, think, I, can, yeah. can I go that direction? Is that too I much? think you can. Well, because look, so here's a, here's a couple of other trends that sort of support that, right? So a story that we won't cover on this week's show, <clears throat> just because it didn't quite make the cut, but was that Google announced this week that you know you could actually become. A, you know you can you can actually underwrite publishing they're creating a new technology solution that publishers can sign up for so that when you actually go you pay like two to four dollars per month as a consumer and you don't see ads you this, actually wait, wait, wait. are this underwriting. Is, google, is this google or facebook this is google this is google i this miss google. this yeah this is google creating this 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 idea and i forget exactly what they call it um and i don't have it under unfortunately in our show notes if we find it we'll actually add it to the show notes um because it's a it's a really interesting thing right but this is this is exactly what we've been talking about for so many shows where where you're talking about i want to basically underwrite as a brand the content the other content in the newspaper and therefore, I'm going to do that by creating another experience that I get to, in this case, quite literally, wrap around all of the content that I'm underwriting by paying you this money to create this experience for me. And yes, it's going to support goals, and yes, it has to be great content, but I'm trusting you, New York Times brand, to actually create that experience for me because – so I think it's a real opportunity here, and this is sort of the – you know, I, I get it. It's kind of a – you know, this is the blue sky unicorns and, you know, and, and, and daisies of native advertising where everything works in kumbaya and everybody's motives are pure. And I understand that somewhere along the line that one of those things won't be true, but – Having said that, you know, this is the kind of – I think this is a way for publishers to monetize their business in a new, evolving way. So to your point, yeah, it is it is advertorial, but it's the evolution of advertorial, right? It's the evolution into something, an experience, a complete experience because this is multi-channel, multifaceted, has – creation of content as an experience that you're supposed to have and hopefully supports Shell's marketing goal in some way. I think what's what's int- I, I agree with you. I think the thing that I'm thinking about when while you were talking was how much influence did Shell have on the content? Cuz I'm sure it was significant. And that but that's what I'm wondering is it 
is it where is this the type of content that the New York Times would cover, but it's it didn't quite make the cut. So they need somebody. If we're gonna, if it's gonna be found, we need somebody to give us some money and underwrite this effort, and then we'll put some resources to it. Now, I, I don't think I can say that because this is definitely advertiser driven. But I wonder if we're getting to that mode where, I mean, if there's something that's really, really important, you say, hey, uh, this this issue, this energy issue is so important, and the New York Times says, look, it, it's not gonna sell us copies. I can't monetize that. We think it's important, but it's back of the page stuff, and they're like, well, can I? Can I underwrite that? Right. I mean, it's a, I mean that's, a, that's that's the PBS model, right? I, I want this to happen. You have a really good idea, but we need to get it off the ground. The difference here is that Shell is actually – I wonder how much tinkering is going because that's – Well, there's – I mean, there's some, right? I mean, you've got to well, think that there's some. Well, there's got to be because that's why I mean, it has sponsored got, content yeah, on the top of it. We've all got firsthand experience with people, you know, that that pay for our – time and pay for our thoughts and and you know and and whether it's conscious you know in a very conscious way or a simply unconscious way you know and this is where you get into sort of a philosophical sort of conversation about advertising and underwriting you know even if it's just like you know i'm a patron right i'm a patron of the arts you know this goes all the way back to when you know mozart was creating music and was you know patronized that's what your the word comes from by the emperor who said i'm going to pay you money to create music by the way he's going to create music that the king likes and that the emperor likes and so i'm going to make it my job to make create something that you like and so therefore am i influenced by you or you know that's you get into a really fuzzy line there but but ultimately i think whether it's unconscious or actually conscious this is the new world that publishers live in these days with a fragmented audience and 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 brands that are looking for deeper experiences with consumers do you think do you think this is going to and i don't want to i want to wrap this up but yeah is there is this hurting the new york times brand in any way i don't i don't think this does i mean we'll see what the we'll see what the fallout is but i don't think something like this does i think this in fact for the average consumer you know for those of us that aren't inside baseball and looking at this through a micro lens i don't think this hurts them one little bit because i don't think the average consumer knows or cares you know i think they read the content they look at the website they get value out of it they don't they kind of know that it was sponsored by shell and they go you know those that are sort of precluded to already hate shell because of the environment and blah 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 are not going to read it and send in letters of complaint and those who don't care might have a interesting take on the article i don't think it does one thing or the other for the brand yeah it's interesting and the final thing is in the comments there's one of the in the digiday article somebody said look new york times was doing this type of sponsored content back in 19 or 1883 and they linked to it it's just interesting it's about <laughs> it's about christmas stockings and uh, that they were promoting some content uh, or some some product from somebody. So it's like yet another example of this. old. I market. know. So it's not like <laughs> so, Nate, you know, I, and that's what I'm I'm just trying to figure out. Is this really, right? You know, we just talked about it for 15 minutes. Is it really news? And I think that the advertorial model has just shifted a little bit. And that's what we're trying to keep up with. That's right. And by the way, that Google service, which just launched um, last week, is called Contributor. And we will put a link in the show notes. It's, uh, I've got a couple of articles here on it. Basically, for a $1 to $3 a month, you get the ability to remove ads from your favorite sites and replace them with a thank you message. And so they're launching with uh, The Onion, Mashable, and Imgur, the, the image uh, site, as their uh, first pre- premium partners. But that's not evil at all. That's not evil. 
<laughs> well, you know, there's a day to play there, so <laughs> that's, you know, get, get off on a rant. All right. Next, uh, speaking of Facebook, which we, I think, have done on sh- every show for the past uh, four or five weeks, so. Forrester says, and I guess when Forrester says that it, it must be important, Forrester says now that brands are wasting their money on Facebook and Twitter. This comes to us from the WallStreetJournal.com, the blog there. And basically, the uh, the blog post says that uh, Forrester has said that there are people are, of course, increasingly turning to social networks like Facebook and Twitter in an attempt to start conversations and have, uh, they put this in rock and roll quotes, uh, relationships with consumers. And so according to said firm Forrester, they might be wasting their time and money doing so. As Nate Elliott, who's the analyst with Forrester, who wrote in a new report titled Social Relationship Strategies at Work, said, you don't really have a social relationship with your customers. And according to Mr. Elliott, uh, Facebook and Twitter, which we've talked about forever, have only an organic reach of about 2% of their fans and all of that. And they basically say it's a complete waste of time. I, You know, my main takeaway here is, how come when Forrester says it, they get covered in the Wall Street Journal, and when we say it, it's like, you know, crickets? I think it, it just, it's not as sexy unless you said Forrester says. Joe and Robert says just didn't quite make the cut. You're right. You're right. You're right. Uh, I'm, but I'm not bitter about that. No, I mean, this is, <laughs> it's, this is, I don't, this is another thing I don't think is news necessarily. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, it depends on what you're. Well, it's news because Forrester says it, right? It's news now. It's become now. It's like a bitterness here, right? (laughs) (laughs) I'm not one to complain. I mean, you know, Forrester is so rare to get anything right. I mean, this is yes, you're right. This is you're right about this. Okay, let's move on. Well, I guess the one thing I would say is for most, because we know. I mean, look at the Cleveland Clinic and how great they're doing with Facebook distribution which i guess even with the algorithm changes they're doing just fine so i think if you have a fan base that really really loves the type of content you're distributing that's great if it's accomplishing your goals which in a lot of cases are traffic you know traffic goals back to the site where you can monetize those users in some way that's fantastic but for the majority of brands it's crickets out there yeah. Well, let me ask you this, and maybe I, you know, and this is true. I mean, you and I haven't talked about this, and I truly have this as a question because I was actually going to look this up um, and failed to do so before the show. In when you look at your analytics, because I, I was having this conversation actually when I was in Sweden having this exact conversation, and when you look at your analytics, can you tell when you of the traffic that's coming from Facebook? Can you tell if it's coming from your page specifically versus someone sharing it out, or is it just sort of globally, say, Facebook? It just comes from Facebook. Oh, you know, I, can you distinguish? I don't know. I mean, I can obviously tell when it comes from Facebook, but I haven't dug into the analytics. I mean, I'm assuming that our analytics and social media team have, but I can throw the question out to them. I have not looked. I'm really curious, and here's the reason, and I'm sure one of our audience members will help answer this question for us. Um, and Tweet us up, would you? Tweet. Tw- I, I really want to know the answer to this, um, and I suppose I could go to my own Google Analytics and look it up, but that's not nearly as fun as having one of you guys answer it for me. Um, <laughs> We're lazy. So, Don't yeah. <laughs> Please well, help us. That you know, and and plus, it, you know, it, 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 look, you, you're going to be bored this week waiting for Thanksgiving. Do something fun for this old marketing and go tell me the answer to this question because I really want to know. I want to know if I because here here's the reason I asked the question. If it's true that you can't distinguish the difference, in other words, it just says 
traffic from Facebook, how do we know that that great Facebook stuff is not from people sharing our stuff through their networks rather than people coming to our page and clicking through on a link? Other than, I guess, we could just test specific articles that get shared versus those that don't. But, you know, I'm I'm just really curious because – it strikes me that even in the Cleveland clinics, you know, I go back to the copy blogger thing, right? When they killed their Facebook page, they weren't killing the ability to share on Facebook and the traffic they were getting from Facebook. They were actually just killing the effort that they needed to actually create this content on something that wasn't working. But that's for them. that's a really key point. I really do believe that the majority of and it, brands and individuals, by by the way, don't need a page. You don't need a right. page that's yours. You need the ability to create content in the stream. That's right. That's really all. Because you, that's all you need. I mean, look at so you know. This because is, I'll tell you, everything I've clicked on, I, I can I can tell you in. I mean, not even one hand. I mean, it, it might be one or two times that I've ever clicked on a something that was shared from a page. But I've clicked a lot on things that are shared from people, my friends, that are sharing articles from other things. Well, you know, sometimes it's BuzzFeed, sometimes it's not, sometimes it's Harvard Business Review, sometimes it's all sorts of things. But I, I've never once been to the Harvard Business Review Facebook page. I don't even know if they have one. But I've clicked on many a thing in Facebook that are HBR linked articles, and so I'm. That's why I'm really curious about this. It's interesting. I mean, we. I mean, we still look at for us. We're still looking at people that want to, you know, fan us and in some way because, and we know we're reaching less people. But the people that we do reach are the evangelists for us, and they sort of kickstart the sharing in a lot of cases. Well, that's a great, point. and that's and you that's know, it. And, I mean, yeah. do, we only need you no. Know, even if we got the one to two percent, that's okay. But to be honest, the majority of sharing that's happening on Facebook is not being kickstarted by us. They're grabbing our content from our site or for wherever we're distributing it at, and they're sharing it on their site of you know, social media source of preference, platform of preference, right. Facebook, right. Twitter, right. LinkedIn, Instagram, whatever the case is. And so it's interesting. And then just on that note, because this has nothing to do with anything we're talking about, Pinterest is a search is, has become a search engine. That's not even a social oh, media just, site yeah, anymore. Absolutely. That's a search engine. So it's just interesting the way that these things are changing where you've basically got – Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn are media companies, and then some of the other ones are search engines, but they're not they're not places where we're going to necessarily build relationships with. It's places where our content can be shared and we can be found through them, but not through our page. Yeah, so. absolutely. Well, I, you know, the more research I do into into Pinterest and 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 Instagram, they you know they are they are very much becoming interfaces into commerce. I mean, there are some real good examples. I mean, there are some real ROI stories there of commerce companies really making great business ROI, you know, like monetary on ROI from putting up stuff through Pinterest and, and Instagram. And the first, but the first, and how that's happening for the most part is somebody, and that's why tagging is so critical on Pinterest right? Exactly. and linking is because we're looking at all ours and we have, we're going back into the past and optimizing all of our images to make sure they're tagged properly and linked properly because of the fact that people are searching for certain things. On Pinterest, and that's how they're finding them, through search. It's yeah. not through them yeah. liking my page. Yeah, exactly. So. 
Well, speaking of tagging and linking and making things all sorts of friendly for the algorithm, as it were, our last story of the week comes from eConsultancy, and it's a wonderful article. I thought maybe one of the best I've read on this particular topic. Um, The title of it is, How Does Google Judge Quality Content? And I thought this was a really good one for those of us who are focused on creating content for an owned media platform. And Many times I read those articles and I just I, I start to yawn because I you know it's like I, I read all of the you got to h one tag this and you got to do that and you've got to make sure that this is done and it gets into the weeds really quickly here I thought this was one of the best articles I'd ever read that sort of went through a very succinct yet very complete five steps or five basic good tips how you should be thinking about creating content. Um, and you know, basically they go for five and we can go through the five if you'd like, um, holistic content, the length of the text on the page and spoiler alert, it's longer, not shorter and readability of copy on the page, less advertising on the page and the presence of images, which is all sort of, you think, duh, right? These are all sort of inherently smart things to do. But this was just, I thought, a really good article that sort of summarized things. What do you think about it? That's interesting. I was reading the holistic content one was interesting because I'm trying to figure it out. And the way that they prove this with their algorithm is, is they'll look at a term. But if you just have that term overwhelming and you don't have it linked to what they feel, what Google feels is related terms, they don't include it as holistic. So it's going to be more well-rounded content. So That's right. So basically you just... You just write for the human being. It's <laughs> what right. you do. Exactly. That makes sense. And the one that this the the length of the text one is the one that kills me because you know as you know I started a a business creating blog posts for 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 small businesses and at the time it was two hundred and fifty words. Two hundred fifty right. words right. was the magic length that we had to have it That's at least right. two hundred fifty words and followed on you know and this. Uh, this search keyword now it's nine hundred and seventy-five or something. Nine hundred and seventy-five, and it's going to go longer than that because people say the long-form content is out. I mean, you're going to see this <clears throat> number go up to eleven hundred, twelve hundred, thirteen hundred, I believe. And the nine seventy-five, by the way, they looked at what is the average length of something that's found on the first page of Google for different keywords. Just so you know. Oh, that's fascinating. So, and then I don't know what the other ones are. The the um, uh, you know the readability well, that what do they say it's. Um, has to be understood by 13 to 15 year old at minimum. I don't really know what that means, but maybe, maybe you do. I don't know. But the, the one thing I thought this was, (laughs) this was interesting. (laughs) Was that some sort of weird backhanded (laughs) insult? Was that, were you trying to like throw something over the wall there? (laughs) It's a Sunday night. I just watched the, I have nothing left in me. I'm looking at this stuff. No, these are the last two things I'm looking at. Uh, less advertising on the page. This is so yeah. funny to me. They, you get hurt more if you have advertising like Google AdSense on your site. Yeah, it says. Yeah, absolutely. It's so fu- but that makes sense to me. But it's funny that Google would penalize a, a site that has Google ads on it. But that's what right. they're saying. And then, of course, images rule. Uh, if you're not if you're not optimizing for images, they'll look at that. So, I mean, is there any surprises in here for you or is this well, just I, I, I the only surprise I guess I would say is that, you know, and look, I am no SEO guru, so I I don't know anything about SEO other than this, right? I mean, other than sort of, you know, write for humans and do it well and and create great content. Um but I, I guess I haven't seen a lot or heard a lot lately about the social thing, right? The social sharing aspect as a signal um that Google either is or isn't, you know, and I know there's some 
hubbub about Google Plus and how that kind of isn't now being considered and the authorship thing is gone now. And so there there used to be a lot of focus, at least last year anyway, on the social aspects of, of, of SEO. And it seems that has really sort of diminished over the last four months. But, you know, but maybe it has. As far as we know, no, as, as far it. as we can tell, there's no that you don't get points for people sharing your content socially the way that you, but when you really, they still do focus on links and it's not all links. It's links from quality sites. And what happens with the social, as your content is shared socially, you increase your opportunities to get talked about in a link. That's where it comes in. Uh, and that's okay. really helped us. I mean, I could yeah. see it firsthand that somebody covers our article, especially with our research that just came out. Somebody covered our research, and they found that through Twitter, or somebody shared it on LinkedIn, and that's the way they found it. Like, oh, that's research. We should cover that. So that's where I love. I mean, that's with the social play. It. I, I haven't seen anything in writing that says that social absolutely leads directly to increases in search ranking. So Gotcha. There you go. Yeah. Well, speaking of monetizing content, we have once again the great folks of Emma to thank for our ability to sit here and gab at each other that, when the Browns win. That is that is correct, my friend. <laughs> this that should be their headline, by the way. That should be their headline. We help Joe and the Browns win. I wonder if I could talk to Emma and have them do like free email marketing consulting if the Browns win. There you go. And if they lose. It's like one of those things where every time the Browns score a touchdown, they add another consulting engagement to their sort of uh, their their quota, right? So if they're doing like if they have like 25 or 30 that they're doing in a month, every time the Browns score a touchdown, they're going to add five more or seven more. I'm sure nobody at Emma cares about what we want. No, they do. don't. No, they don't. They really but, don't. And shouldn't, quite frankly. But they were nice <laughs> enough to. I like the concept. We're, I'll run it by them. We'll see what happens. All right. Um, this episode of This Old Marketing is sponsored by our wonderful friends at Emma. Email marketing for the modern brand featuring mobile responsive templates, very important. And then there's social integration tools. They have them. And then, of course, the all-important concierge services that we love. Emma's promoting a new report called Automation Demystified. So good. It's good. A Modern Marketer's Guide to email, mar- email Automation, which is incredibly important because most of us don't do email automation. What will you learn in this report? You'll learn how to create undeniable value for subscribers. That's why we love Emma because they talk undeniable about Undeniable value. Well, it's not You can't deny value. it. Yeah. You can try and deny it, but you just can't. Just, it can't be You done. will not be able to deny it. It's like the Browns victory. Just can't deny exactly. it. Exactly. You can't deny can't it. Deny it. Uh, welcome new subscribers, because when we get a new subscriber, there's a whole strategy that goes into making sure those subscribers then open our emails, and they can help you do that without creating new content or boost conversions, which is super, super important. You need to register and download this report at bit.ly.com slash PNR dash auto email. That's bit.ly.com slash PNR dash auto email. That's all. Don't deny case. yourself. You need Don't to deny You yourself. need to do this. This, this Don't deny it. It's undeniable. It's undeniable. <laughs> there are no shenanigans, and this is undeniable. You must do this. Meow. Anyways. All right. Uh, moving on. This is all, it's going off the rails, folks. Anyways, thanks to, <laughs> thanks to our sponsor, Emma, this Absolutely. week. We love you. 
and uh, and that's it. And now I think we're on to our absolutely. That is time for the show where everybody loves, which is our rants and rave section, which is where Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave about something that gives us a little bit of heartburn or something we just want to open our hearts to. So uh, because you have this old marketing this week. Um, I no, you're going I go first. first. You're going first. You're going first. Don't so you got to rave. Don't take this away from me. My I'm no. I I'm won't deny it. First. It will not be denied. Mine will be brief, uh, just because I love the Aussies and I have to send some love their way. So I I had the pleasure of doing a lot of interviews this week because our 2015 benchmark report for Australian content marketers came out this week. And I love the I love the Aussies because they always cover it way way more than the Americans cover anything regarding content marketing. But there's two uh, two articles in particular that I wanted to talk about just because I love the headlines. Uh, Ad News came out with content marketing. Most Australian marketers are winging it. That was the headline. And then this one huh. is from Hold on, let me get this Mumbrella. Uh, Mumbrella. Oh, we know the Mumbrella oh, guys. Yeah, we know they're, they're, they're fantastic. Yeah. Mumbrella says marketers completely crazy for looking to web traffic as content marketing success metric. Now, <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. I know it's so awesome. But then I go in and they attributed that quote to me, and oh, I'm perfect. And I and I. I think I said that. I'm actually positive I said that, but I don't remember saying it. So basically, I, <laughs> I was talking about because, and this is if you ever do it, you can just always do the patent thing, right? You can say, I never, ever, ever said that, but I certainly <laughs> wish I had. <laughs> well, what's funny is when you talk to an Aussie about anything, that you just open up. You, you just start confessing on the spot sure. because they just make <laughs> you feel so comfortable. And I, I right. probably started to just throw out all kinds of uh, personal feelings. But uh, I said my main concern is the number one metric was web traffic. That is completely yeah. crazy as it means nothing. Now, completely true. But anyways, it took it to the extreme. So anyways, I just was letting you know that the Australian report is out. <laughs> but I wanted to throw a little bit of love out to those two. And we'll put those in the show notes as well. Um, and by the way, just you know, back to the research, the number one web uh, metric for content marketers in Australia is web traffic and it is completely crazy if you just look at that as your metric. It can yes. be a lower level indicator of other things like getting subscribers or seeing other positive behaviors depending on what your goals are, but in and of itself just because a chart is going up and to the right as you say very well Robert doesn't mean anything in and of itself. So Absolutely don't get, uh, don't be seduced by the dark side of web traffic unless it's linked to something more meaningful. So there you go. Exactly right. Exactly right. Well, I have a rave as well, uh, which seems to be the theme. I'm going to have to find a rant at some point. That's Thanksgiving. After, year, after yeah, after yeah. our year anniversary, I've been all about the love. Um, got to find something to rant on. But this this week, I wanted to give a Thanksgiving gift. I wanted to. I wanted to give back and give thanks to the audience. So I found something online which just tickled me to no end. I was just giggling through the entire piece. Of, so do, do you ever watch Adult Swim on television? On occasion, I have been known to, okay. yes. Okay, all right. So I love Adult Swim. And this comes from them, although I don't know that it was on TV. It was uh, I found it through in a big hat tip to one of my favorite sites, Boing Boing, um, which I surf regularly. I found this thing, and it's called. It was. It's, it's this wonderful video. It's it's eleven minutes long, and for a comedy video, eleven minutes it seems like a long time. But this thing 
it's it just keeps getting better and better. And what it is, it's called Smart Pipe. Have you seen this? The not, Smart Pipe. I've not seen it. It is so great. Now it's not for the kids, so you know this is something that what I want you to not do, safe folks, for work, is probably right. Not well. It's it's not like there's no there's not a lot of. In fact, there's I think only one or two curse words in the whole thing. But it's the top the subject matter. And when I get into this, you'll 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 see why. It's the subject matter really more than anything else. The smart pipe is it's and it's this 11 minute video which is purports itself to be a corporate video of this company who's made this new internet of things thing called the smart pipe and it connects very smartly to your toilet and it basically starts measuring all of the things that you would all the information and big data that you would normally flush away <laughs> it's just it's fantastic oh my and gosh. <laughs> and you're like how does this how does this even relate to content marketing and the, the here's here's where it relates to content marketing because the interviewer who is just very funny and, and he, cuz he's so droll and just very you know he doesn't even wink at the camera it's like there's no winking at the camera here it's just very they play it all very straight but they start doing things like how the data is going to follow you around and how what you actually flush away will become part of your profile that they can now serve up ads to you and then they bring in and this is my favorite part of the whole thing the social celebrity from the company from the pipe (laughs) The social celebrity who's because she's famous on Twitter and on Facebook because of what's in her pipes. (laughs) And so they interview her and she's the way she's dressed is so wonderfully social media celebrity type. And then they interview the CEO of the company who's got a copy of Atlas Shrugged on the desk. So the Anne Ryan thing. It's just the whole thing is just so wonderfully over the top about what's going on with the Internet, Internet of Things and marketing and content and all this stuff. It's just fantastic. I mean, and they all they sort of as it goes on and on, it gets to the whole end and, you know. There's a they 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 figured out with this hashtag called the hashtag. It's called it's my anus. It's just it's so good and it's just so wonderful. You just have to spend you know have a glass of wine over Thanksgiving, open up YouTube, click on this, and just enjoy for 11 minutes because it's just fantastic. This sounds like a very appropriate thing for you. I <laughs> it's it's well it's potty humor first of all, which is always well, one of my I probably favorites. Would like it, you know. Then. It's yeah. just it's just fabulous. I was talking right? to my so, friend today about how one of my favorite movies is uh, You Don't Mess with the Zohan and uh, Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so this yeah, would probably exactly. be right up my alley. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Anyways, and now exactly. people know way too much about me. Well, um, there you go. So there you go. All right. Let's This uh, old marketing. Let's do this old marketing as we wrap this baby up and we have to send a shout out, little love to our good friend Buddy Scalera for sending Buddy this Scalera. On. This is super interesting. And I had not seen it before, and I don't think anybody besides us and Buddy would see this as a content marketing initiative, but it clearly is. So this is Scribner Magazine, S-C-R-I-B-N-E-R. Scribner's Magazine was launched in 1887 and flourished until 1939. And basically it was from Charles Scribner's son's books, and they would cover sort of inside a lot of their authors like Ernest Hemingway, F. Scott Fitzgerald, Kurt Vonnegut, uh, some people that we know very, very well, and uh, and basically talk about how they write, how they live, what they think about, just inside their lives, which is super interesting. And they, they didn't, I couldn't find anywhere where they said what the goal is behind it. I mean, it looked like they were trying to compete. Uh, Scribner's Magazine was trying to compete against a lot of the other, like Harper's and some of the other sure. magazines yeah. for their age, but. 
this this looked like they were actually trying to drive commerce by getting people more interested in the authors to then buy the books. So what's really interesting is Scribner Magazine was brought out of the ashes from Simon & Schuster. So Simon & Schuster brought in Scribner. You know, Simon & Schuster owns Scribner Books. And they're bringing Scribner Magazine back to life as a digital uh, digital online magazine, which I, I would like. I wish they would go back to print. We'd see whether we talked enough about that last week. But it's right. really, really interesting to see this happen. But the whole idea is... Uh, you know, we're just finding these amazingly historic examples. So this one is back to 1887, and now is being relaunched here in 2014. So it's totally fantastic. I, I would, you know, go into the show notes, but you can go to ScribnerMagazine.com and check it out and see. And they've got, I mean, basically, it's going back to the way they did. They're looking at a lot of the authors. Uh, that they have for Scribner Books and Simon & Schuster, and they're going inside their lives and what they're doing and eating and living and thinking about. And it's just, it's super interesting, and it's totally, totally content marketing. It totally is. That is fantastic. Well, there's your drinking game, folks, by the way. I've said fantastic, <laughs> fantastic a few times. If you are not drunk by now, then you should be. Well, that is wonderful. Where, uh, where, and, and so you've got the, you've got the family? Got you're, the family. You're headed out? We're, we're doing a little, yeah, we're going to go... Uh, uh, meet with some family over this week, uh, so that'll be fantastic to spend. <laughs> fantastic. There we go. Yeah, how many drink? People drink, are really, drink. really drunk out there if they're doing the drinking yeah. game. Uh, but yeah, we're ha- we're gonna spend some some wonderful time with family over the holidays, and and I'll watch the <clears throat> the Dallas game and see that go. And I'll be thinking about you as you probably have heart palpitations against big game. Big game. It's a huge game. Huge game against the Eagles. Eagles. It will be a, a very, very so big game. So hopefully if Dallas yeah. wins tonight, which you're going to watch in a little bit, they'll That's right. they'll be at both eight and three. And that this it's, will be for the for the division it, title or for the division it, oh, first place. Yeah. Yes, I know. Don't even remind me. It's gonna be it's gonna be I'm gonna be yeah, you know. Oh well. I'll be I'll be good I'll be good in saying fantastic a lot. How about that? <laughs> for a metaphor. <laughs> well <laughs> Okay, uh, folks. Well have a happy Thanksgiving. It's thank been you. Uh, it's been a great you year too, with you and I'm very thankful for you and uh and on to, oh. to bigger and better things after the holidays. Absolutely, folks. Well that is it for Joe Polizzi. This is Robert Rose signing off. And you know, tweet us up. Let me know about that uh, measurement from Facebook, would you? Hashtag us at This Old Marketing. Um, and just come on over to This Old Marketing at ContentInstitute.com and send us email. If you like this episode number 54, do consider subscribing on iTunes or Stitcher.com. All the links of all the stuff that we talked about are available at ThisOldMarketing.com in our show notes. And do hope you'll tune in next week for, you know, our post-holiday uh, uh, ex- extravaganza. Remember, folks, it's your story to tell. Tell it well. We'll see you next week on This Old Marketing. <laughs>